So this year, in CLF, I, in particular, am emphasizing on discipleship. And as a church, I am encouraging us to emphasize on discipleship um, because I believe that as we learn about discipleship, it will help us to be more grounded in the Lord. And I feel that's how the Holy Spirit is speaking to us as a ministry in this time. So today I'm going to talk about what is a disciple. What is a disciple? Luke chapter 6 verse 40. It reads, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. The word disciple comes from the Greek word mathetes, which is M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S, which really means a student or a pupil, somebody who follows someone, a follower of another. And specifically, it refers to a disciplined follower of a teacher or a master. Now, in the context that we're going to learn, we're learning about what is a disciple of Christ Jesus. We're talking about being disciples of Jesus Christ. And what are the implications of being a disciple? From the Greek word, uh, a disciple really is speaking of someone who learns from another, receives instructions from them, speaks of somebody who really sticks close to their teacher or master. And so the reality is that if a person is a disciple of somebody, they're seeking to imitate that person. So, in our context, as disciples of Jesus, we seek to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone who claims to follow Jesus cannot ignore the issue of discipleship in their lives. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, this is what the Lord says. This is what the scripture says. It says, Now great multitudes were following him, or went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, these are very strong words that the Lord was saying. A lot of people were following the Lord. And he turns around and says to them, if you're coming after me, if you're following me, if you want to be my disciple, not just somebody who is in my presence, but my disciple, somebody who's committed to imitating me, to following me, to sticking close to me, if you want to be my disciple, then the criteria is you have to be willing to hate your most important relationships, which are? Your father, your mother, your parents, in other words, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and even your own life in comparison to your love for me. So the Lord is not advocating hatred towards these vital relationships. What he's saying is to be his disciple, your affection for him compared to your affection for them will be hatred. Because when you are his disciple, there will come a time when you're going to have to choose between 
him and these vital relationships. It does not mean that the Lord is teaching us to be irresponsible towards our relationships, these relationships. But what he's emphasizing is to be his disciple means that there are times when you're going to have to choose, even to the extent of choose between him and your life, your own life. In other words, how you live your life and also whether you're willing to give up your life for him because you are his disciple. And then he says, and anyone, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, you know, if that's your Bible, you should underline bear his cross. Because the bearing of the cross, in my opinion, is the reason why many people, after they are serving the Lord for a while, give up. Because the cross represents shame, hatred, rejection, um, self-denial. That comes as a result of following Christ. The cross speaks of humiliation and rejection. That comes because you have identified with Christ. It speaks of the hardship of embracing Jesus and the message of his kingdom. Now, the tragedy we have today is that great multitudes go to church. Great multitudes are Uh, identifying themselves with the Lord. But how many of the multitudes are disciples? Even in our church here, this small congregation here, amongst ourselves, we need to ask the question, how many of us are disciples? Now, don't get me wrong. I am not talking about being saved and going to heaven. I'm not talking about being saved. As we're going to learn, you can be saved Go into heaven and not be a disciple. We're going to see that in a moment. So, every born-again believer is called to be a disciple of Jesus. But most believers are either unaware of this requirement or are ignorant of its implications. You see, you might see yourself as a disciple or you might believe that, yeah, you are committed to following Jesus... But are you aware of what the implications of that are? Because when the implications of it embrace your heart, it radically transforms how you live your life. It really does. For one thing, let me jump ahead, you will not live your life centered around yourself. You won't. You will not live your life centered around your comfort zone. Now, whilst I'm here, let me give a prophetic word the Lord told me to tell a lot of the parents of our church. He said this. He said when I was, I was in Bulgaria and I was praying, and he said this, tell your, member, your church members, the parents, that they need to be very consistent as to how they are serving me and serving my house. Because if they are not and their children come of age, and their children begin to turn away from me and from the house of God, and they tell their children, you need to go to church, the children will answer them, why? And when they say, because you need to, because I'm telling you, the children turn around and say, well, you don't do it. 
And because you don't do it, you can't be telling me to do it because you will not have authority. And I believe God wants us as his people to have the authority that belongs to disciples. We cannot expect our children to imitate us when we're not imitating Christ. We can't because they will not. And it means we have to learn to be humble with our children, have to learn to be accountable with our children, have to learn to be open and honest. And I tell you, if you don't have children, sometimes it can be a blessing in disguise. But let's, let's just quickly, let's move on. <laughs> Sorry, if you're a child, forgive what I just said. But anyway, the first century concept of discipleship is really far removed from discipleship today. In fact, the concept that Jesus and his disciples, and the, like John the Baptist and his disciples, the way they interpreted discipleship, in our context today will be frowned on. It would be looked at with suspicion. It, it, and it, can, it would even appear cultish, to be honest with you. Why? Because in those days, disciples literally lived with their master or lived close to their masters, and followed their masters everywhere, everywhere they went, and hung on every word they said, and did and served their masters. They were like servants of their masters. That's why in one place in John 15, the Lord said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but friends, because I'm showing you what I'm doing. Because the nature or the heart of a disciple is servanthood. Now, in our context, we're not talking about being disciples of Joseph Buedu or being disciples of Mecca Umadi or Naim Mecca Umadi, if you want to say it properly, or Nicholas Thompson or whoever. We're not talking about that. We're talking about being disciples of Jesus Christ, but you can only be a disciple of Jesus as you see him in his word and through other people. In other words, you need people to show you how to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So as long as you can see Christ in me, imitate that. But don't just imitate me blindly, because if I'm going to hell and you imitate me, you end up in the same place, and it will be on silly for. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> One of the basic requirements the Lord has for his disciples is the willingness for them to do what he says. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? A disciple learns to hear what the master is saying and is committed to doing it. In James chapter 1 verses 22 to 25, the scripture reads something like this. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. 
So, if you want to be blessed in what you are doing, then you need to learn to be a hearer of the word who continuously looks into the glorious word of liberty. That, in other words, the word that sets you free. And as you continue to look into the word that sets you free, then guess what? The works of your hands are blessed and your life is blessed. But people want their lives to be blessed and don't want the requirements of the word. And as a pastor, this is the challenge. To get people to submit themselves to the word, especially the uncomfortable bits, so that the word can change them. Because as you learn to keep looking at the word, it is the word that changes you. It's not so much your willpower. It is when you see something in God's word which is uncomfortable, but you're willing to, to believe in that, you're willing to believe it or trust it, even though you don't like it, then when you believe it, the power in that word changes your heart and you're able to then do it. But the struggle is whether you're willing to believe what God's word is saying in your context or to remain in your own opinion about the issue. That's the challenge. And most people remain in their own opinion and that's why their lives are not blessed. I'll give you an example. Whatever God has to say about money, if you learn about it, your finances will be blessed. Whatever he has to say about marriage, if you learn about it, your marriage will be blessed. Whatever he has to say about relationships, if you learn about it, you have enriched relationships. Health, the same. Any area of life, you learn about it, and then you believe it and you apply it, that area of your life will be blessed. Now, being in an environment where the word of God is preached and taught on a consistent basis will not make you a disciple. Many times people confuse the fact that they are in a, a word-preaching environment with their lifestyle. I, I, you know, one of the things I, I, I try to let my children know and uh, I remember I was talking to the young people in our church, and I said to them, just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It doesn't. You know, you have to find the Lord yourself. I found him when I was 16. Before then, I thought I was a Christian. And when the Lord spoke to me, he told me, you're going to hell if you die today. At the age of 16, the first time God speaks to me, he says, today, Joe... Joseph, young man, in fact, Joseph, no, he said, Joseph, today, if you die, you're going to hell. What a statement to a 16-year-old. So the point is, as a disciple, as, as individuals, we have to teach personal responsibility whereby we don't assume because we're in an environment where the word is being taught, it automatically makes us a disciple. Now, let's talk about the difference between conversion and discipleship. So when a person hears the message of the kingdom, believes that message, and gets born again, or, or rather they hear the message and believe it, they are born again. Now, they're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not born again because they made a decision. That's one of the, the misnomers or the lies that are purported in the evangelical community because you made a decision it means you're born again. No, it's not your decision that makes you born again. It's the power of the Holy Spirit 
that uses the word of God that causes a person to be supernaturally translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Let me prove it to you like this. This is why there are people who make decisions about what they've heard and they are not born again. I'll explain. Later on, you will discover that the reality of the cross of Christ is not in their life. Or even the reality of the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not in their life. So what happened? They made a decision to an intellectual argument. They made a decision maybe because they had something that they liked. They said, you know what? I like what you're saying. I think I'm, I'm going to start coming to your church. I think I'm going to be start, you know, I think, I, yeah, I think I'm, I want to be a Christian. And by want to be a Christian, they mean they want to start coming to our church. They want to be part of our club, okay? Now, it's great. We, we, we're happy. We rejoice. Yeah, he's part of the club, you know. And we may put a label on you that now you're saved. But actually, unless you are believing in the Lord Jesus, Unless your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul that you know was damned and going to hell and that you know that without Jesus Christ you have no basis, no hope. I'm sorry, you've joined the club. You're not in the kingdom of God. You see, and there are many people in the club they are not in the kingdom because they made a decision to join the club called church now, I like the ch club called church. I'm part of it. But they never got born again. He says in Romans 10, verses 8 to 10. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's how you're saved. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord of your life. He's the Lord of your life. He's the final authority over your life. He is the one who dictates your life. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, he is still alive today. He's alive in me. He's alive in my life. You are saved. Now, conversion is instantaneous. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit transforms you. It occurs immediately. It takes place at a particular time when we believe in Jesus through repentance and confessing him as Lord. That's conversion. Acts chapter 3 verse 19, he says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Okay, Acts 16 verses 30 to 31. Acts 16, 30 to 31. The Philippian jailer, he says, he brought them out and said, the Philippian jailer said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, sometimes we don't understand that phrase, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We think what it's saying is, agree with what Jesus says. But the word believe in the Greek, pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, when you apply it, literally what it means is you have now relinquished your opinions and have embraced the opinions of Jesus and you, have, you are sticking close to him, you have adhered to him. In other words, when you believe in this context, it means you've repented. You don't believe and then repent. When you believe, it means you've repented, you've changed direction. It's not that 
I believe, then I repent, then I'm baptized. No, you believe, and the believing demonstrates you've repented. And so, when they say believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, what he's saying is, you see what Romans 10, 8 to 10 is saying. You, re, you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life. In other words, you're now surrendering your life to his lordship. And you are now relying on him for the salvation of your soul. And when you do it, and those in your family do it, they're all saved. All right. So, discipleship, however, is different from conversion. Whilst conversion is immediate, discipleship is a process. It's not an event. It requires time and circumstances to develop and manifest. Now, it may begin immediately after you're converted, or it may begin over a period of time after a person has been born again, it may be something you do consciously, like you decide, all right, from this day, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus. Or it may be something that happens innate. In other words, it just, you just, because you've given your life to Jesus, you've just decided to be completely radical. You're not even thinking about being a disciple or not. You're just completely radical. But either way, it takes time. Now, you can be a, a child of God, been in the faith for a long time, but you're not a disciple. Example, Galatians 4 verse 19. Paul says to the Galatian church, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. The Galatian church was a powerful church. The power of God was evident. Signs and wonders flowed. The presence of the Holy Spirit was evident. Yet, they had lost their way into legalism and were no longer following Christ, but being committed to a legalistic approach of their faith. They had lost being disciples. The Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4, Paul, it says there, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The Corinthian church, again, a very powerful church. In our estimation today, we would call it a very successful church. The gifts of the Spirit was evident. Fivefold ministry was evident. They were large. They were green. They were influential. And yet Paul says, you're carnal. When it came to the gifts of the Spirit, Paul said to them, you don't lack any gift. You don't come behind in any gift. They were a very powerful church. Yet he said they were carnal. They had lost their way. They were no longer being disciples of Christ. They were being carnal. They were, they were divisive. They were, there was all kinds of things going on in the church, which is very apparent in our world even today. All right, so that is the difference between conversion and discipleship. Now, we are not rewarded in this life or in the age to come with being born again. We are rewarded for the level of discipleship that's evident in our life. Now, notice I said in this life and in the age to come. Let me explain. You see, after we get born again, there we enter the kingdom. And there are things in the kingdom that belong to us. But for us to be able to enjoy it, we have to do something. So the things of the kingdom are freely given to us. But we are also rewarded with the things of the kingdom as we operate kingdom principles. So in Hebrews 11.6, he says now, he says, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder, a rewarder, a payer of wages to them that diligently seek him. So there is a difference. You've come to God by faith, but to get rewards from God, you need to be diligent about your faith. And in any area of life in the kingdom, you are rewarded based on the level of Christ-likeness that you were committed to in the context you seek a reward. In any area. Now, beloved, listen carefully. Because many times believers love to complain. Why is God letting this happen? Why isn't God doing this for me? Why isn't God doing that? Why isn't that? We all like to moan. How many of you enjoy moaning? A good moan. Come on. I like to moan. Unfortunately, as you get older in the Lord, you have less freedom to moan. In my younger days, I really used to moan a lot. And then as time went on, one day he just said, no more pity parties. It's like I tried the pity party and slap, literally by the spirit. I said, oh, I'm just a little, oh, my life is so bad. I'm sorry. I can't do this anymore. That was about 24 years ago. It's like six years into my faith. I remember the time I was in my bedroom, even maybe five years into my faith. Pow! So none of that anymore. So even, even when I feel like I want to be sorry for myself, I have to be very careful because um, I don't get away with it. So you guys who are allowed it, enjoy it whilst it's going. Not really. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thank you, thank you. So we're not rewarded, we're rewarded, sorry, for being disciples. Now, in this age, you're rewarded with things in the kingdom. Now, I'm using the word rewarded not about righteousness, I'm not talking about God accepting you as his daughter or as his son. I'm not talking about that. That one. Is free. I'm not talking about being rewarded with the love of God. I'm not talking about that. That one, God loves us in spite of us. God accepts us as his children in spite of us. I'm talking about being rewarded with the things that are already yours as his child so that you can have it. So, for instance, as a parent, you buy a gift for your child. This is your gift. And then one day your child is misbehaving. So you say, you see that gift? You're not allowed to have it anymore. Now, it's this, but they can't have it. Why? Because their behavior disqualifies them from that. Any parent know what I'm talking about? If you're a good parent, you should know what I'm talking about because you have no more children like us. So, it's their gift, but they now have to prove themselves qualified to have that gift. Do you understand? And then there are certain things that you will never let them have until they grow up because even though they may be the best of children, they are not mature enough to have it. And it's like that in the kingdom. So, for instance, my son, at the age of 14, there's no way I'm going to buy him a car. I'm not saying I'm going to buy him a car anyway, but there is no way I'm going to buy him a car at the age of 14. However, if he's 18 and he's done well, I'm in a good mood, and I've got the money, and I'm feeling normal, and all the other ifs are in place, I may buy him a car. <laughs> I may. <laughs> so that because I know him if he hears this but dad you said that you will buy me a car and you were preaching as well so I may but even if he's brilliant 
I couldn't buy him a car now, even if it was brilliant. The point I'm trying to make is that in the kingdom of God, there are things that belong to you now that you will not get if you don't behave like a disciple, a four-year-old disciple. As a four-year-old, there's a certain requirement he will expect of you. And if you don't act like it, even though it's yours, you won't get it. But there are things that belong to you as a 15-year-old disciple that you will not get it even if you are the best four-year-old disciple. Now, I'm going to show you in the scripture to prove the point. In Matthew chapter, sorry, Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31, look at what the Lord, what Peter and the apostles said to the Lord. It says, then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. Assuredly, sorry, so Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Now, I want you to notice all these rewards are for this age. But do you notice that they left wife, but never got wives. They left wife for Jesus, but he never rewarded them with wives. He rewarded them with everything else, but not wives. It's interesting. <laughs> See, because you're reading that, if you're, you know, a sensuous man, you're reading, ah, they left my wife. Huh? Oh, yeah, I think that would be a good thing. Because <laughs> there'll be wives, but there's no wives. Why? Because that's for that one. You can only have one, that's all. Only one wife, one husband, that's it. So just for that. But notice, even houses, <laughs> even houses, even lands, um, natural things and relationships. And I've discovered that in being in the kingdom of God, I have a lot of quality relationships. A lot of quality relationships because you're willing to let go of relationships for the sake of Christ. And that's what I did. When I got saved, I let go of relationships. My family and all of that, they knew that when it came to my faith, they didn't come anywhere near. And for a long time, they, I was the outcast of the family. But look, they're all in the church today. You see, eventually, without compromising, they all came in today. They all came in without compromising, being gracious, praying for them, loving them, enjoying their rejection and their ridicule, but eventually they all came in. But more than that, I got brothers like Mecca and Nikki and sisters like Melanie and Marcia. I got friends like um, William. I got friends like, um, I've even forgotten my friend's name. <laughs> I know his surname, if we need him, I can. Good Lord. But the point is, and if I didn't mention your name, don't worry about it. You know, you're even a better friend. I didn't even have to mention your name. So you see. So the point is, is that you will discover if you are willing to go out, out of your way for the gospel and for Christ, what he will reward you with will be brothers and sisters that are so precious that you're able to go through thick and thin with them. You know they've got your back. 
Zelda will scratch your eyes out if you try to attack me. She will scratch your eyes out. But she's also the first to tell me. Yeah. See. That's how it is. God will give you quality relationships. Quality relationships. But you see, it's in this age. This is my point. It's in this age. In this age. Not in the age to come. In this age. If you're willing. So you're rewarded for discipleship. In this age, but also in the age to come. Also in the age to come. So, what I'm trying to say is, is that when you commit to the road of discipleship, yes, it will be challenging. Yes, it will be tough. Yes, there will be difficulties. But along the way, because he says with persecutions. Persecutions is where people are against you and are trying to do things against you because of your righteous stance for the Lord. That's what persecutions are. Not because you were an idiot in work, you couldn't keep your mouth shut, you weren't doing your work, and so they sacked you and said, I'm being persecuted because I'm a Christian and because I'm black. <laughs> you know, we always like to add them to, and I'm black. You know, no, you're, because you're an idiot. That's why they chucked you. All right, quickly. Christian discipleship is the expression of Christ-like characteristics in everyday situations. Everyday situations where on a daily basis you are seeking to be like Christ. So, as disciples of Christ, we are committed to, number one, following him, sorry, we're committed to following him with the aim to, number one, submit to his will and authority. Number two, live by his claims over our life. Number three, learn from him. Number four, develop intimacy with him. I know I'm going fast, sorry. Number five, obey his commandments. Number six, reveal his character and power. So this is how we demonstrate that we're following Jesus, by submitting to his will and his authority over our lives, by living by the claims he makes over us, by learning from him and his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, developing intimacy with him on a daily basis, obeying direct commands. Now, beloved, there are many things God will not tell you to do. There are many things God will not say do. So, for instance, people say, he woke me up this morning. He got me on my way. He didn't. God did not wake you up this morning. He did not wake you up. This, because if he did, you will know about it. When God wakes you up, you will know about it. You woke up this morning because your body clock had enough sleep or something else woke you up. God did not wake you up this morning. Right? Or, you know, Lord, what shall I eat? He doesn't care. As long as you don't damage your body. He's not going to tell you, eat Frosties or eat coconut. He's not going to tell you that. That's just ridiculous, you see. Some things are just ridiculous. Some things, that's not what it means. Where, you know, you div- oh, you're obeying his commands. Okay, so I turn left. Okay, what, Lord? Turn left? Okay. No, it's not like that. But there are certain things the Lord will give you direct commands about. And there are many things God will say to you, are you willing to surrender your will in that area? You see, and unfortunately for a lot of Christians, rather than learning to cooperate with surrendering their will, unless God tells them you need to do outreach, they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it because, you know, they've got to be with their families, you see. Oh, another prophetic word, and I, shared, I think I shared it with you guys, didn't I? Another prophetic word the Lord gave is this, and this was through one of our prophets, and he said this, that many of the people, he said you've, he told, he said, you've trained a lot of people, 
And after you've trained them, they then take a back seat because of their commitment to their families. So they're committed to their families at the expense where my house or my people are being neglected. And he said this, that what they don't realize is this, that as, even though it is right for them to prioritize their families, it's not to the extent where my house is neglected. But if they learn to prioritize my house the way they're supposed to, then the very blessings that they are seeking, they will end up getting. And the reality as a pastor over the years, I've observed this principle where people put God's work way down the list or they do God's work at the point of their comfort zone, but they want rewards that will never come because they're not willing to sacrifice for God's work. I can't sacrifice my family. I can't sacrifice, I can't neglect God's work because of my family. You might say, well, you can't because you're a pastor. Beloved, there are many pastors who, who neglect God's work because of their family. I have to be willing to let my family also pay the price with wisdom because that's part of the cost of discipleship. Amen. So I encourage you to, I conclude with this, pursue discipleship. It is the narrow road. It is an unpopular road. It is an unpopular path. When you listen to the teachings of some of the popular preachers, you will think that the issue of discipleship is no longer required. But I conclude with Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The Lord says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many on it, many who go by in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few find it. I believe that the road of discipleship is the narrow way that few find. And I pray that you'll be one of the few. In Jesus' name, amen.